Welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about murderous spirit animals so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Black Hills by Nora Roberts. Joining us to discuss this cougar-approved murder mystery love story is librarian, writer, and cat fancier Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining us. We're excited to have your Nora Roberts and feline expertise. <laughs> well, I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, right off the bat, we should probably warn you, Renata and I really liked this book. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. I want to read like, more. Is there a I sequel? I would rec- recommend okay. that you read this book. <laughs> <laughs> there are many, not a sequel to this book, but there are many, many others, because Nora Roberts has written like 150 books. <laughs> I know. She has, like, four full shelves at my library. Mm-hmm. She is prolific. Yeah. Yeah, I was going into it kind of expecting, like, oh, maybe it'll be okay, like, kind of the way that I feel when we read other romance novels. But this was, this book was exactly my, like, perfect storytelling ratio. It was, like, 60% relationships 20% backstory and 20% plot and it was <laughs> amazing like that is exactly what I wanted like lots of snappy dialogue and joking and awesome ladies and romance and also a mystery that people have to solve and it was great yeah but the thing about Nora Roberts is that for the most part that ratio is true every time except sometimes you add in like really intense loving descriptions of home renovation or like restaurants. Uh, I mean, in this one I like because we get really intense loving descriptions of cats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Duarte and I were both hella into it. Yeah, I had kind of low expectations. I think I never read any Nora Roberts books, and I think I'd sort of filed them along like as sort of like maybe one step up from, like, a Harlequin romance novel, which, as we discussed before, like, I totally respect people who read romance, like, whatever, it just hasn't really been my cup of tea, but I read this and I was like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. I was really impressed. I was really impressed on multiple fronts. I was really impressed at, like I said, you know, it was my ideal makeup of a story. There were so many lady characters, and they were all so cool which I wasn't expecting and was super into. And there were lots of info dumps on big cats, which I don't care about. You shut your mouth, Kate. She she managed to do it in such a way that I never felt like I was attending a lecture. Like, and I think part of that is because the book is set largely on a wildlife refuge. So a lot of times those info dumps came in the way of a character naturally asking a question about a particular type of cat and one of the characters who is literally a leading expert in the field answering the question. So it it like didn't feel awkward really because I I have noticed in some of those like niche sort of books where it's like oh the character is an expert in this and clearly I did a lot of research on it and I want to show you my research by having the character constantly spouting random facts. Cough Dan Brown cough. (laughs) (laughs) so yeah never it never really happened here like that like it felt very smooth and i appreciated that i didn't even know i was learning (laughs) and then also and we'll get into this i was pleasantly surprised by it being not super racist 
Like, it was a yes. little bit racist, but I thought it was going to be way more racist. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, like, where I'm at now with my reading. But I was like, oh, it's, it's only a little racist. <laughs> That should be her new tagline. Not as racist as you expected. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, before we get into the plot, which you should do really quickly, uh, Catherine, how would you rate this among Nora? Would you say this is like one of her better ones or one of her worst ones? So I'm sort of a low-key Nora Roberts expert in that I've read like 60 or 70 books by Nora Roberts. And I should clarify that like I did like this book. I suggested it because... I feel like she is kind of like a punchline author. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, Renata, people have a very like strict preconception of like what she is and like romance in general. And for the most part, I really like her books. This is probably one of the more interesting and exciting ones. And she writes kind of in several very specific categories. So her early stuff is like category romance. It's very, very... Um, formulaic and kind of fits the the romance arc that was popular in the 70s and 80s. She also writes fairly gritty futuristic murder mysteries under the pen name J.D. Robb. So that's mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of a separate thing. Um, and then the books that she's writing now kind of fall into two categories. There's either the series, which are more traditional romance. They have less of a mystery or thriller plot line. Um, they're often set in large mansions and or B&Bs that are being renovated. And the series element comes up when several like construction guys all need to fall in love and they're all working on this house. <laughs> um, are so are any of the houses haunted? Yes, they're all haunted. Like, oh my God, seriously? <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're always set in either like a mansion or a castle or an old inn. And but it's always like low-key haunting where the ghost just wants people to fall in love. <laughs> so okay. Kate, we gotta we gotta email all our scheduled guests. Change of plans. We're not reading Grey. We're not reading any of the shit where this is a Nora Roberts only podcast until we run out of books. <laughs> this all sounds I'm amazing. A, I'm 100% on board with this. <laughs> Roberts book club. I'm only joking a little. Like 20%. So then her final category are these ones like we read for this podcast where they're like sort of mystery thriller-ish and they're standalone so they're not part of a series. They're usually longer. There's a bunch of them. These are my favorite of what she does because they always have female protagonists with really like kind of kick-ass professions. Like there's one about a woman who is a forest fighter who jump like parachutes out of planes to fight forest fires. Um, there's one about a woman who trains guide dogs and like uses her guide dogs to find a serial killer. There's one about a woman who's a bush pilot in the Alaskan wilderness. So like that kind of ticks all my personal boxes <laughs> for what I want to read about. And it's always similar proportions where Yes, like, she runs a big cat refuge, but mostly the book is about, like, idyllic farmhouses and relationships and shopping for wedding dresses and also murder and also cougars or whatever. Both kinds of cougars. (laughs) Yes, both both (laughs) kinds of cougars. 
So, okay, great. Great. Let's, okay, let's go into the great plot of this book. Oh my god, it's so good. (laughs) (laughs) It it starts off... Actually, I I have to say, like, I felt a little uncertain about choosing this book because I did like it, but I really didn't expect you guys to like it as much as you did, so I'm glad that you read it, but I feel a little bit like it's not a worse bestseller. I don't know. I mean, it is to a lot of people, though. Yeah, so, I mean, we're about that. We're also about exposing things that people think of as being worse bestsellers, but are actually best bestsellers. So, this is perfect. (laughs) So, yeah. So, this book, it starts off in the year of our Lord Taylor Swift, 1989, (laughs) um, in a childhood flashback where we meet our two protagonists who are named um, Coop and Lil, is Coop, Coop is short for Cooper, a little short for Lillian, but they only go by these one-syllable names because fuck it. So Coop um, is sent out to South Crappy Dakota, where they don't know dick about squat, which is a direct <laughs> quote from the book that I loved. And his parents are divorcing at this point, I believe, and they've shipped him off to South Dakota to stay with his grandparents, who he doesn't really know that well for the summer, and he's mad about it, and we get this sort of, um, we've seen this trope before of, like, a kid who's from New York City, and he thinks any place that isn't New York City is garbage, and it's just full of this, like, bullshit farm life, and he's, you know, they don't have cable, and they don't have whatever, and he just has to be outside all the time, and it sucks. But then he meets Lil, who's their, um, is she their neighbor or just nearby? Nearby-ish, I think. I don't I think, think they really uh, have neighbors. Yeah, yeah. it's very, it's rural. She, you know, she lives nearby with her family, and so they go over to have, um, dinner together, and the idea is kind of had to have the kids play, and of course Coop is like, ugh, girl from South Crappy Dakota, ugh. But then she's like, well, uh, we have a you know, baseball diamond out back, or it's kind of a, whatever, they have a, a baseball area. <laughs> yeah. Let's go play baseball, and she's really good at baseball, and he's like, oh, now I'm in love, basically. Um, <laughs> and so they, they become friends, and there's a few more flashbacks. We check in on them at a few different ages, and uh, when they're college age, they totally fuck in the woods. Which is when he first meets her, even after she's, like, into baseball, he's not necessarily, like, oh, my God, I'm in love. He's just kind of like, oh, okay, like, this girl is cool, even though she's a girl. Yeah. And when we switch to them college age, he's getting ready for college, and she's a couple years younger than him, I think. But, like, around the same age. And she has discovered boys, and he has discovered girls, And she is like, I'm going to fuck this kid while he's here. I'm a virgin. And when he leaves, I am not going to be a virgin anymore because, like, I totally love him and I'm totally attracted to him and I'm going to fuck him. She's very (laughs) goal oriented from day one. Yes. In everything. Yes. (laughs) But this in particular at this stage. And he's kind of like, oh, like you know, oh, you're my best friend and I love you and I don't want to hurt you and you've never done this before. And she's like, no, we're going to fuck. Like, at one point, she literally, like, jumps on him. <laughs> yeah. Well, not only that, when they go into the woods, like, she's organized the whole thing and she's gotten both, of like, his grandparents and her parents' permission and her parents fully know what's going to happen. 
and they're like, like sure go into the woods yeah because they're gonna go camping in the woods yeah <laughs> so she's got she's like let's go i get my horse all loaded up with like a tent and condoms <laughs> and she's like planned out the route she's like it's gonna be an ideal place to bone but also it's near where this cougar i've seen is and i'm hoping i can kind of like two birds one stone we can fuck <laughs> and also i can see this cougar i've been wanting to see and yeah, like and research it she saw the cougar for the first time the first day that she and Coop met. So she's kind of like it's become their sort of thing. Like she looks th- looks as the to the cougar as kind of her talisman personally, but also her and Coop's like shared thing. Like at the end of that first summer that he visits, he whittles her a, a cougar because that's like their sign for each other. So yeah. she's like, yeah, like, we're going to fuck and we're going to see the cougar because we always see the cougar when we're together. So it's going to be like a A-plus day for Lillian. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. And then, uh, but then it's it's like an F day for someone else because after they fuck, they totally find a body. And they have to go back. Wait, is the cougar... Fuck, there's so many murders in this. Is the cougar well, eating they, that body when they find it, or is that another time? I think that, that's another I don't time. Think I think so. I think that they see the cougar, and I think it's maybe not that particular time that they fuck that they find the body. That they that becomes their place, and they go back there when he's getting ready to leave. Oh, I thought it was the first time. Okay. And then they find the body, because he stays a couple extra days after that in order to... I think it's, like, the last night before he's leaving to go back to New York. And they've had, like, this summer of love in the woods. And then they find a body right before he's supposed to leave. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, So it's sad and fucked up because it's a young girl about their age. And they're like, oh, (laughs) this is awful. But what are you going to (laughs) do? Right. Yeah. You know, they go back and get the police and all of that. Yeah. Um, so then Coop eventually, he stays a couple extra days to help take care of that because the bombshell that he dropped on everyone was that he is leaving college. He had been in college for a year and he was dropping out because his father wanted him to become a lawyer and he doesn't want to be a lawyer anymore. He wants to be a cop. So he's going to drop out and enter the police academy. And he's concerned because his like rich asshole lawyer father might use this as an excuse to uh, stop his trust fund from paying out, but he's going to go through and do it anyway. And he and Lillian promise that they're going to stay together no matter what. And for a little while they do. And then like a year later, he breaks up with her. Um, they, They meet like halfway between South Dakota and New York and he's like I just have a lot going on right now and I can't be in a relationship and she says no I totally understand you're right I have a lot going on too and they supposedly part as friends and this is one of my my few issues with the book like she at the time says to him like yeah no I totally understand like yes let's do this but then acts for the rest of forever like he broke her heart and ripped it to pieces and smashed it into the ground when when we actually do get that flashback to their breakup it's completely amicable and normal and chill i mean i kind of get it like she wanted to play cool or whatever but there's no 
I could see how she would feel that way. Like, I feel like her feelings are valid, but I also don't know how Coop would have gotten that from the things that she actually said. Yeah, like, I don't blame her for having feelings. I guess I blame her for, like, treating him like he pissed all over her and then cheated on her with someone else when really, like, in a very difficult time in his life, he did not have the energy to devote to her the way that he should and realized that in a very mature way and said, I think we should take a break. I think that's something that happens a lot in these books is, like, fairly mundane or, like, normal um, conflicts or interactions are always played as though they were super dramatic, even if they didn't, like, every every emotion with the protagonist and the love interest is, like, heightened no matter what they're saying, no matter what they're doing, no matter what, like, actually happened. It's always, like, life-shattering or, like... yeah. It's it doesn't seem proportional. <laughs> yeah, because they don't we don't get we know that they broke up at one point and we don't actually get the details of it for a long time. But she keeps referring to like like at one point she literally says like he ground her heart into the ground and, you know, he ruined her life and ruined broke her heart forever and ruined her for other men. And so I'm thinking like, oh, my God, she walked in on him fucking three other women and, and like a cougar. Yeah, and a cougar. <laughs> and, you know, it just turns out that he, like, had this conversation with her about how life was really stressful and he didn't have time for a relationship. And she played it cool and was like, oh, yeah, I totally understand, not indicating to him that she had a problem with it at all. So I was very taken aback by how chill their actual breakup was. But, yeah, so that happens. And then they flash forward 10 years and um, Lillian's just gotten her doctorate. And she's like a doctor of cougar studies and she's well known all over the world going to places to observe big cats in the wild and then coming home to the Chance Wildlife Refuge. Chance is her last name. That was always her dream to start ever since she was a little girl. Um, And it's on the land next to her parents' farm, and they have, like, state-of-the-art facilities. And her best friend from college, who's also a conservationist doctor of some sort, works there with her. And uh, life is pretty good for Lillian. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the animals that's there is, is called Baby, and it's a cougar who's, like, sort of like her pet. Like, they, um... They took him and a couple of his siblings in when they were, like, cougar kittens, and then they tried to reintroduce them into the wild once they were old enough, and the other two cougars had, like, peace, and there's, you know, rehabilitated, but Baby kept coming back and coming back, so now he just lives there, and, like, Lillian pets him like a kitty, and he's pretty great. Yeah, he's, like, super affectionate to her and to anyone like, at one point, she tells Coop, like, he takes his cues from me. So, like, if if he sees that I like you and he smells me on you, he'll like you, too. Because he's my bro. Yeah. She's, like, the alpha cougar to baby. <laughs> yes. Um, so she runs this refuge and everything's great. And then everything gets a little wonky when she's coming home back to see all of her animals and her wildlife refuge. And her mother says to her, uh, just so you know, while you were gone in South America, Coop's grandfather broke his leg. So Coop's moved back from New York and is decided to live here permanently and help out around their farm. And she's like, 
oh, great. And, like, it's all like, oh, no, but we're friends. Like, we've always been friends, and we've been friendly to each other since we broke up, and everything will be fine. And I'm definitely not going to, like, go home and drink and be sad about how in love with him I still am because that would be stupid. <laughs> it's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> and um, Spoiler, they- it's not fine. And they, they <laughs> tell her. So she, yeah, so she goes out there and she finds out that there is a camera that they have like out in the wild that they can use to kind of track the animals that they've tagged that has been turned off like or they think it's broken they think that this like camera they have out in the wild is broken so she decides that she's going to go by and see Sam who's Coop's grandfather who has the broken leg to say hi and hope that he's feeling better Uh, say hi to Coop and then go out and investigate this broken camera but Coop when he she goes out there refuses to let her go by herself and tags along with her and it's a good thing that he does because when she gets there it turns out the camera's not broken someone literally turned the switch off and that's weird and while they're camping out that night Coop hears someone and sees someone snooping around their campsite and in the morning a cougar that they had trapped near the camera has been is brutally murdered and then their campsite is destroyed and Lillian's stuff in particular is marked up with the cougar's blood. And it's a cougar right that's been it's like in a live trap like it had it's like in a humane trap and that they had placed to study it. Yeah, it was maybe injured or something and they were going to take it back. Yeah, it was like it was in a live trap. Cuz it's significant that it's and it's a enclosed animal. It wasn't it wasn't fairly hunted. It was shot like while it was um, yeah, yeah. So it's not like it had been oh the cougar attacked me and I killed it. It was like oh it was in this cage and I killed it. Yeah. And this is also, it's a cougar, which is their special animal and and Lil's special animal. And it was right at their special spot where they fucked that time. (laughs) So all of it feels really weird. And it's also right near where they found the body um, that very first summer. Mm -hmm. And Coop tells her, because he was a cop for a while and then he became a private eye, that he looked into the murder and that there were a couple similar murders But no one was ever caught, and they were unsolved, and there had been no activity for a long time. And he and the cop agree that due to the camera being turned off and the, like, very obvious... So then it would, like, lure Lillian out there. Yeah, like, the very obvious personal attack on Lillian at the campsite that someone was purposely luring her out there to attack her. So shit gets real. Shit gets real... (laughs) Yeah, so then um, Coop um, becomes, it, this just, like, activates his alpha male, like, whatever, and he's, he's he definitely does not go full Christian Grey, um, which, you know, on the scale of, like, overprotective dudes, Christian Grey is at, like, an 11, and I would put Coop at, like, 5, 6. Yeah, and Coop, too, um, he is a cop, he is trained in this, and it is very obvious that someone is specifically coming for Lil. Yeah. And they do actually have a bunch of conversations where she says to him, like, I am I can take care of myself, but I'm also not stupid. And I realize that because a murderer is coming after me, like, it would be good to have extra protection. And that being doing this was literally your job. 
So it's okay. Also, also Lil has a really hard time locking doors at yes. any point in time. Ever. Well, you know, r- these rural people, they're so trusting. They don't, you know, they don't even have locks. Not like New York City where everyone's a stranger. <laughs> so that's going on for a while. They're finding different leads. Um, there's other, there's some other like minorly threatening things that happen. And then a, chi- a coyote gets left on the gate to the sanctuary, like a dead coyote. That's one of the creepy things. Yeah. Stuff like that. And then meanwhile, the B plot is kind of that Lil's best friend Tansy, who's, you know, the other lady who works at the reserve, has been having sort of a cougar romance with Farley, who (laughs) is, you know, she calls herself a cougar and she's really concerned because he's younger, but he's like four years younger or something. He's like 26 and she's 30. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they've been having kind of an, a romance that's building, and Tansy's like, no, 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 I'm too old for you. It's like, it won't work. Um, and then also that Tansy's black and Farley's white, and she's like, we can't have an interracial relationship in South Dakota. Like, what will people say? And Farley's like, I don't care. And Tansy's like, it's easy for white people to say. And I felt it was, this is what I'm talking about, where it's like more like, racially sensitive than I maybe would have expected, like, for her to even have characters having this conversation at all. Although they talk about it, like, one time, and then she's like, okay, I guess it's fine. But at least they talked about it. Yeah. And Farley, too, it should be noted, is he is the farmhand for Lil's parents, but... They essentially adopted him when he was a teenager. He had a bad home life and he was running away from home and they gave him a job and were kind of like, you have to, the deal is you have to finish school and you can live here and you can work here, you know, but you have to be finished school and be a good dude. And he is, he's like super nice and, you know, very well-meaning and Lil looks at him as like a younger brother. Yeah. Um, and it, okay, that said, I mean, they, they do have this conversation, it's it's good, but then also, this book shifts point of view fairly often, which I think is used pretty well and pretty intentionally, unlike some other books where it's just sort of random, um, but when we get Farley's point of view, whenever he describes Tansy, it's gross, it's like one of the grossest parts of the book, yeah. um, you know, it, it's very, like, like, oh, her caramel-colored skin, and there's a part where he describes her hair that is real gross to me. I'm talking about, like, how he, like, wants to get his hands on it and, like, how it's, he calls it, like, springy and, like, like some other stuff that's just sort of, like, you know, Also, he, he says he managed to get his hands on her hair one time. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. no what, explanation. <laughs> yeah, like, what were you doing, Farley? What were you doing? And I feel like even one more sentence, or, like, he managed to get his hands on her hair one time when she thought she had a tick and he was, like, checking it out. You could have made that, like, not creepy. Or at least not so creepy. You get the vibe that he was just, like, standing behind her silently. Yeah. Like, reaching towards her hair. Yeah. Like, it's very clear that Nora Roberts is trying to make him into this, like, kind, not so bright, but, like, kind-hearted and, like, a good man. And we get a lot of that from all the other characters, but then when it's from his point of view, it's kind of skeevy. Yeah. Um, and it was, like, that's the the other, like, of the two main issues that I have with the book, um, the other one is this, that both Coop and Farley have this way of being like, we're going to get married, 
because I can already tell and, you know, I love you and I know you love me too and you're pushing me away now, but you're going to give in eventually. And because we get, at least with, um, we get a lot of Lil's point of view when Coop is saying these things and it's a lot of that kind of like, oh, like you're such an asshole. I don't want you, she said while thinking about how much she totally wanted him and was totally going to give in. Um, so I felt like that when Coop did that, it kind of went over better with me. I still didn't like it, but I could at least tell that he was well-intentioned and that Lil was into it, even if she didn't want to admit it. But we don't really get enough Tansy. Yeah, do actually, does Tansy ever get the narrative thrown to her? Yeah, she gets, she's the one who has it when they're at their, the rest, the, the picking up the jaguar stop yeah and he when takes her to the hotel oh yeah, yeah. Okay. and then there's one other time that it's her but yeah but we don't get like really her reactions as much as we get lils to coop so farley's whole thing just kind of felt creepy even though i was weirdly sort of rooting for them at the same time <laughs> yes i agree <laughs> <laughs> I, and, and I, go ahead oh well and then also so, spoiler, I don't know, fuck it, it's not a spoiler, that's what this podcast is about. He has this plan, he's gonna, pr- they went on, like, a couple dates, and he, like, finally is like, yeah, we're getting somewhere, and he's like, fuck it, I'm just gonna propose. And he proposes, like, crazy early for a normal relationship, and normally, like what? Like a week. Yeah, and normally weeks. that kind of thing, I'm like, uh, gross, barf. But here I was like... Yeah, I, you know, he wants to really show her that he's, like, making a commitment, and, like, even though he's younger, it can work, and I was just, like, into it, and I don't know why. I don't know why. And I, mean, I think I that's think... something that happens a lot, especially, well, in romance in general, but spe- specifically in Nora Roberts, is she sort of tries to flip the genre and have the female characters be, like, really strong, really into their jobs, not that into getting married, but the flip side of it is that the male characters usually end up being the ones who are like ready to commit and they're painted as being like more um, just emotionally mature and like they know what's best and then they have to kind of like bring the female character around and make her see that like it's not all about her job or whatever. So that's something that is, yeah, I have an issue with that as well. <laughs> yeah. I- I think why I bought it, why why I was rooting for Farley and Tansy um, and was into their, like, three-week proposal was mostly because of how much they showed Jenna and Lil, Jenna being Lil's mom, as being into it and being like, no, like, this is what you should do. Like, she's totally going to be into it. She's totally going to love it. Like, he has Lil go with him to pick out the ring and he puts a lot of thought into what kind of ring to get her and why and, like, all this stuff. And so I was, like, super into it. I was really into it. Like, Farley was skeevy, but I I really was on their team. (laughs) And even, yeah, and, like, Lil was into it. She was so excited. She helped Farley pick out the ring. And I don't know. I don't know. I liked it. (laughs) You secretly want to propose somebody to propose to you after, like, a week. Oh, it would be so romantic. (laughs) (laughs) They could take me to a big cat sanctuary. 
Well, I mean, like, truth, if someone was proposing to you at a big cat sanctuary, I think if it was, like, three hours, you would be like, hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you already know understand. me so well. <laughs> I know, be like, can George be in the wedding? Or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the majority of the book is them trying to solve these murders. Well, the majority of the book is everyone trying to work out their relationships, both familial and romantic while murders are being solved in the background. The murderer at one point kills a tourist who's hiking by like misdirecting him and then leading him on a chase. And we get some some um, chapters from him, his point of view where we find out that he feels a connection to the land and that he claims that he is descended from the Lakota. Yeah, Lakota Sioux. Yeah, Lakota yeah. And it, oh yeah, and at, at first all you get is him. At first you think that it is actually like a Lakota Sioux person, and it it's upsetting the way it's written. Yeah, but as we learn more about him, it turns out that he's just like crazy delusional, and White that his dude. abusive father used to abuse him. And use the excuse of like, oh, well, our Lakota ancestors would be so disappointed in you. So that's why I'm doing this. And that he's kind of internalized that and turned it into his like murdering motive. Also, when he when he murders the hiker, he like leads him off the trail and then gives him a head start and like tracks him through the woods using his supposed like Native American tracking abilities, which he doesn't necessarily like he knows how to track, but that's not why. And it's a like a it's a most dangerous game situation exactly. where he uses yes. humans as prey and hunts them. Exactly. And he's like very so he feels connected to Lil because a she found the body all those years ago because he is that same killer he had killed like that woman and all those other women. And b he sees that she's like a really good tracker too, and has heard that she also because her like grandfather or great-grandfather yeah um was also lakota sue and she mentions it a couple times but she's not quite as appropriative as he is and and she also kind of rolls her eyes at like oh everybody out here thinks their like grandfather was a chief or whatever huh yeah like she purposely says like i don't talk about it with people because like people are so creepy about it and exploitative and like, I don't want to be a part of that. But um, she does believe the cougar is her spirit animal. She 100% believes the cougar is her spirit animal. Yes. So that's why he particularly is going after her, is because he feels like she'll be his most triumphant kill. And that she has, and it, um, that she's betrayed her ancestors by keeping animals in cages like a zoo, quote unquote, on the land when they all deserve to be free. Right. Even though, like, she, they try to rehabilitate and put them back out into the wild, and they only keep the ones that are, like, too fucked up to ever survive in the wild on their own again. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Or the ones that want to be house pets, like Baby. Yes. Or the ones that willingly enroll themselves in <laughs> Yeah, so that's all going around in the background. Then Farley and Tansy, their courtship is going on. And then Coop and Lil have this sort of back and forth where they're mad at each other and she doesn't want to see him. And then, like, it's okay if they fuck, but they can't have a relationship. And then 
maybe they'll talk about having a relationship, but not until after all this is over. But in the meantime, they can still fuck. And all of this stuff and she finds out that he's still in love with her and finds out all the details about why he dumped her because his father had succeeded all those years ago in holding up his trust so he had no money and he was like working three jobs and in the police academy and fighting his father in court so all the money he did have was going to lawyers and he was just really stressed out and felt like he didn't have enough time to devote to her because she was so single-minded about, you know, she's going to go and get her big cat degree and her big cat PhD and open her animal refuge. And he didn't want to get in her way, which I think is, like, kind of legit. But she's yeah, but they, kind, they kind of frame it like all this stuff was going on in his life and he didn't tell her any of it. And it was... Like, he felt like he was a failure, and she was so successful, and almost like, I don't know if I would say that he felt threatened by her success, but he felt like there, it was, in, like, not equitable in some way. Yeah. See, I didn't necessarily get that. I didn't, I, I felt like he was very concerned with her not being able to follow her dreams if she stuck with him, and, like, that was a major problem for him was that she would give up her dreams to help him out or like feel dragged down and held back by the fact that he was floundering and that he didn't have the time or energy to have that on his conscience in addition to everything else he was dealing with. I think the thing that annoyed me about how their split is framed is that he feels like he can't hold her back, and if if she knew the truth, she would just give up her dreams and, like, go live in New York with him. And then later on, her mother basically says the same thing, like, oh, you would have given up everything for him. And everybody, everybody who has an opinion on their relationship is of the opinion that Lil would have abandoned all of her ambition because of some reason, because I... That was because she was young and she's a lady, right? Right. Women automatically give up everything they care about. You can't have both. Yeah, like her her thing, which is a thing that like is kind of like a sticking point for me, is that she said like you made the choice for me, you didn't let me make the choice for myself, which is legit. But then he returns with, but I made the choice for me. And I, I wanted it to be this way at that time. Like, I, I did it. I made my choice. Like, I, I wasn't deciding for you. I was deciding for me that I didn't have the time or energy to be in this position. And yeah, like, yes, maybe he should have told her all the details. But at the same time, like, she can't tell him that he's not allowed to make choices for her when he was also making the choice for him, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, so oh, they, I would they... I would like to insert a sidebar where we talk about how her serious rebound relationship is with a French guy named <laughs> named Jean Paul. <laughs> and so, uh, me and Kate's head canon is it did not work out because he is North Star, the gay superhero. Yes. <laughs> so it was never going to work out, and it was silly of her to blame Coop for it. Anyway, yes. I also think it happy. says some. I also think it says something about this book that we are all so seriously invested in <laughs> the relationship dynamics of these two characters. 
Oh my god, yeah. That's I'm disappointed there's not a sequel. I wanna read more about Lil and Coop and uh Baby. I, I actually mostly Baby the Cougar, but <laughs> I want a sequel where it's this whole book but from Baby's POV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's gray but for this book. <laughs> yeah. It's golden brown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading Grey right now for this very podcast, and I gotta say, that book would be a billion times better, even if it was just, like, meow, meow, meow for 100 pages. Better than Grey. (laughs) I concur. (laughs) But But we'll save that for next time. Back to (laughs) Coop and Yeah, so they, like, kind of work out their shit, and, like, her big thing to him is that she has all this lingerie from Jean-Paul, and he jokes to her, like, oh, why don't you wear it for me? And she's like, do you really want me to wear lingerie that another man gave me for you? And he's like, okay, good point. Yeah, I and didn't she, like that part. She no. says, when I throw it out, then you'll know that that's when I'm ready to, like, make things serious between us. So, like, right towards the end of the book, she throws it all out. And between her throwing it all out and the end of the book... The bad guy decides that the time to strike is now and kidnaps her mother to lure her out to play the most dangerous game with him. So she is so cool. She's so cool. (laughs) He calls her to, to like tell her like I have your mother and she mimes being so upset that she has to collapse to the ground uses that time collapse on the ground to very quickly call Coop and say, uh, he has my mother, he's in the woods, I'm tracking him now, I'm gonna leave a trail for you to follow, like... But, and and I'm going to our, I'm gonna lead him to our place. Yeah, like, come mm-hmm. immediately and bring help. And then she does it, she does just that, and she, like, negotiates for her mother's life with the guy, and she, like, super keeps her cool, and survives running through the woods, And just when he corners her, Coop shows up and is going to kill him. And they're kind of in this standoff. And then a fucking baby jumps out through the woods because Coop had released baby to track her because he knew the baby always came back to her and like jumps out from the woods and sees that the bad guy has Lil cornered and is hurting her and attacks him. Yes. It is so satisfying. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Especially, oh my god, because uh, I spent like half of the book being afraid that this killer was going to kill Baby, and that was going to be really upsetting to me. Like, I was upset enough when the anonymous cats die, but uh, like, I don't think I could have taken it if Baby had died. But instead, Baby lived, and Baby was the hero of the book. Yeah, amazing. There was another part, um, one of the, like, intimidation tactics that he used on Lil was that he snuck into the sanctuary late at night and he freed um, a tiger and lured it out of its cage um, when she was the only one on staff. And she was, like, very quick on her feet and she was able to sedate the tiger and everything. Um, But when you just think that, like, you know that he's on the camp and that he opened one of the cages i was so afraid that he opened baby's cage and killed her oh my god but he did not (laughs) and then baby saved the fucking day i don't even like cats stop (laughs) saying it kate duarte (laughs) listens to this (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god. Did we mention that the tiger was from a strip club? <laughs> <laughs> that was the other tiger. There were two tigers. That was the girl tiger. <laughs> okay. Well, and what they, are the... They get two cats, two new cats over the course of this book, and one was like a house pet that ate chocolate bonbons and then ate somebody's poodle, and so they had to give it it's a bobcat, or I don't remember. No, it's a, a, it's a, it's a melanistic it's... jaguar. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> and then they get a, um, I, I think it's a Siberian tiger that's been like caged in a strip club. Yeah, and um, lap dances. I'm gonna insert a mini shout out to friend of the show Stacy. Strip club tiger is named Delilah, which is also the name of Stacy's cat, and also the name of Freddie Mercury's cat. So it's a really good name for a cat to have. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say about Delilah. Yeah, so we like this one. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We did like it. I guess. Uh, Let's, well, actually, maybe, um, Catherine, I don't know if we should do this now or later. Catherine had some info that I also loved about Nora Roberts as a person. Do you want to drop some, like, Nora Roberts the person trivia on us, and then we can move on to our dramatic readings? Absolutely. So, first thing to know about Nora Roberts is a little bit about her life story. She was from, um, Boonesboro, Maryland, which is a rural Maryland. She got married when she was about 19 and had two, I believe, two sons and got divorced sometime in her 20s, right after she had gotten her first book published. So she basically began writing books as a way to support her family. Her second husband is somebody that came over to her house to install some shelving. And she <laughs> lured him in and married him. And I'm pretty sure that's why there's so much home renovation. Oh, my God. Living the dream. <laughs> in her books. The most important thing to know about Nora Roberts, besides the fact that she's, like, a billionaire, probably, and, I don't know, she sells, like, millions and millions of copies of these books. She still lives in the house that she first moved into after she got married, only it's been expanded many times with the help of her carpenter live-in carpenter husband um and she basically owns the whole town of boonesboro now she owns an inn it's a and b where all of the rooms are named after famous um lovers throughout history so there's like elizabeth and darcy there's romeo and juliet but there's a room called Eve and Dallas, who are the main characters in her J.D. Robb book. So she ah. put her own characters into the famous lovers category. Yes. Um, the innkeeper is a woman who she, who Nora Roberts met online on one of her own fan message boards. And she like recruited this like major fan to come live in her town and take care of the inn for her. Oh my God. Why not us? <laughs> I don't think there's a big cat sanctuary in the town, but she does own a bookstore, a pizza shop, like a couple other restaurants. They're all run by her family members. And the most important thing is that after, I don't know if this came before she started all these businesses or after, but she has a trilogy that was published in the last couple of years called the In Boonesboro Trilogy. And it's 
about the town she lives in and all the businesses that she runs, except in the book they're run by fictional characters. And it's one of the haunted um, mansion series. But yeah, she has created her own town and then set books in it. And now you can go stay in the supposedly haunted inn where the books take place. And I just love how meta the whole situation is. Oh my God. Road trip immediately. Yes. Worst bestsellers vacation. Yes. So I do have a couple of choice Nora Roberts quotes for you. Yes. In, this is from a Guardian interview, and they asked her what she does to keep going when she's writing, and she answered alcoholic beverages. I can relate. <laughs> they asked her if she tweets, and she says, I'd rather stab myself in the eye with a flaming stick. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you can't relate as much to that one. <laughs> <laughs> what does she think of the claims that romantic fiction gives women unrealistic expectations? She responds, because women aren't supposed to have expectations, right? We're pretty smart. I think we know the difference between reality and fiction. I don't think that people read Agatha Christie and then think, I know, I'll go and murder someone. Yes, preach, Nora. (laughs) (laughs) And then she talks about how she started writing. She was one of the sort of first romance novelists to leave behind the Greek tycoon's billionaire baby model and move on to what's sort of a more common novel or a more common model now in contemporary romance where it's a more realistic relationship dynamic. Um, Often the female protagonist has a lot of agency. Maybe she doesn't want to get married or settle down. And so Nora Roberts quote about her role in that and why she writes what she does is she says, I don't want to be the secretary. I want to be the boss. I don't want to write the kind of story where the man treats the woman like shit for the entire book. And in the last chapter, he tells her, I treated you like shit because I love you. That won't do for me. So there you go. Nora. I know. <laughs> I'm we so love her. excited to read every book that she's ever written. I know. I'm definitely like, this is, well, no, actually, I think I kind of wanted to read more James Bond novels after that one. But this was the second author that I've actually been like, yeah, more of this. Not for the podcast, just for fun. (laughs) Well, if you need recommendations, I can definitely hook you up. Yes. Luckily, we have a whole part of the podcast for that. That's true. Tell us, tell me about it soon. (laughs) Um, But for now, um, thank you for that. And let's move into our dramatic readings. And um, we're going to start off with, uh, we'll take you all the way back to 1989 um, with No Taylor Swift, only Coop. And Catherine will tell you what Coop is up to. All right. It's 1989, and Coop is in South Dakota for the first time. Godforsaken South Dakota. He'd heard his mother call it that plenty of times, except when she'd smiled and smiled, telling him he was going to have an adventure, get to know his roots. Godforsaken turned into pristine and pure and exciting. Like he didn't know she'd run off from her parents and their crappy little farm from the minute she turned 18. So he was stuck back where she'd run from, and he hadn't done anything to deserve it. It wasn't his fault his father couldn't keep his dick in his pants, or his mother compensated by buying up Madison Avenue. Information Coop had learned from expert and regular eavesdropping. They screwed things up, and he was sentenced to a summer on a horseshit farm with grandparents he barely knew. And they were really old. 
He was supposed to help with the horses who smelled and looked like they wanted to bite you, with the chickens who smelled and did bite. They didn't have a housekeeper who cooked egg white omelets and picked up his action figures, and they drove trucks instead of cars, even his ancient grandmother. He hadn't seen a cab in days. He had chores and had to eat home-cooked meals with food he'd never seen in his life. And maybe the food was pretty good, but that wasn't the point. The one TV in the whole house barely got anything, and there was no McDonald's, no Chinese or pizza place that delivered, no friends, no park, no movie theaters, no video arcades. He might as well be in Russia or someplace. He glanced up from the Game Boy to look out the car window at what he considered a lot of nothing. Stupid mountains, stupid prairie, stupid trees. The same view, as far as he could tell, that had been outside the window since they'd left the farm. At least his grandparents had stopped interrupting his game to tell him about stuff that was outside his window. Like he cared about a lot of stupid settlers and Indians and soldiers who hung around out here before he was even born. Hell, before his prehistoric grandparents had been born. Who gave a shit about Crazy Horse and Sitting Bullshit? He cared about the X-Men and the box scores. I think it's so funny. I think his child <laughs> narration is really funny. <laughs> <sighs> Although I care about Crazy Horse and X-Men both. But... Well, you're very well-rounded. <laughs> right. And I'm not a child, I guess. <laughs> Uh, next up, Renata and I are going to read a little bit about grown-up Coop and Lil uh, in the midst of all of their will-they-or-won't-they-get-back-together nonsense uh, while all the murders were happening. And um, I guess, so I guess what we actually didn't mention is that while all the murders were happening, Coop was basically living on the wildlife refuge with Lil so that there'd be someone else with her there at night when it was just her. And they so, started yes. fucking again. Yes. Um, but she's like, uh, it's only, like, there's, it's just a friend slash bodyguards with benefits situation. It's nothing else. And then a few pages before where we start reading, she announces that they need to have, like, um, you know, set down some ground rules and Coop wants to have negotiations about it. So this is sort of the tail end of their negotiations, which is a theme that happens a lot in the books we read for this. <laughs> When's the last time you were flustered, Lil? Since the answer was right now, she slid off the bench and took the plates to the sink. I've got too much going on to be flustered. Dishes are yours. I'm going up. I need to finish my article. He caught her hand as she passed, yanked enough to throw her off balance so he could pull her across his lap. He took her braid again, no loose fist this time, and tugged her so her lips lined up with his. Took her mouth. Irritated at being caught off guard, she pushed, twisted. He, which, he was much stronger, his body a lot tougher than it had been once upon a time. And his mouth, his hands, considerably more skilled. Lust wrapped around irritation, need lit a fire to the mix. Then he softened the kiss enough to add a layer of sweetness that bruised her heart. Night, Lil. He murmured against her mouth before drawing back. She pushed to her feet. No physical or sexual contact. That's a rule. I'm not going to agree to that one. Pick another. It's not right, Coop. It's not fair. I don't know if it's right or not. I don't care if it's fair. His tone was the equivalent of a shrug. I want you. 
I know how to do without what I want, and I know how to go after what I want. It's about deciding. And where am I in this decision? You'll have to figure that out for yourself. You're not going to do this to me. You're not going to break my heart again. I never broke your heart. If you believe that, you're either seriously stupid or emotionally stunted. Don't bother me anymore tonight. Don't bother me. She strode away up the stairs into her bedroom, where she shut and locked the door. And um, the last reading we've got for you is I will read for you the part of Ethan Swiftcat, a.k.a. the delusional murderer. Um, And this is shortly after he's killed a random tourist and he's kind of plotting uh, his next move against Lil. What he should likely do is pack it up, move on, cross over into Wyoming and set up for a few weeks. Let things cool off. Asshole cops would take a dead tourist more seriously than a dead wolf or cat. To his mind, the wolf and the cat were worth a hell of a lot more than some fucker from St. Paul. The wolf, now, that had been a fair hunt. But the cat, he had some bad moments over that cougar. Bad dreams about the cougar's spirit coming back and hunting him. He just wanted to know what it was like, that's all, to kill something wild and free while it was caged up. He hadn't known it would feel so bad or the spirit of the cat would haunt him. Hunt him. In the dreams, under a full moon, it stalked him and screamed as it leaped for his throat. In dreams, the spirit of the cougar he'd killed stared at him with cold eyes that left him shaking with sweat and waking with his heart pounding. Like a baby, his father would have said. Like a girl, sniveling and shaking and afraid of the dark. Didn't matter, over and done, he reminded himself. And he'd given pretty Lil a good scare, hadn't he? Have to weigh the good against the bad there. They'd be looking for him hard now, over good old Jim. It'd be prudent, like his old man used to say. It'd be prudent to put some miles between himself and the hunting ground. He could come back for Lil for their contest a month from now, six months if the heat stayed on. Leave those cops and rangers chasing their tails. The trouble was, he wouldn't be around to see it. No fun in that, no kick, no punch, no point. If he stayed, he'd feel them hunting him. Maybe he'd hunt them, too. Take a couple out along the way. Now that would be worth the risk. And it was the risk that got the blood moving, wasn't it? It was the risk that proved you weren't a baby, you weren't a girl. You weren't afraid of any goddamn thing. The risk, the hunt, the kill, they proved you were a man. He didn't want to wait six months for Lil. He'd waited so long already. He'd stay. This was his land now, as it was the land of his ancestors. No one would run him off it. He'd take his stand here. If he couldn't beat a bunch of uniforms, he wasn't worthy of the contest. Here was his destiny, and whether she knew it or not, he was Lil's. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Alright, so there's there's so much more that's in this book, and uh, you should check it out. (laughs) (laughs) But for now, we'll we'll move on to our would-you-rathers, and I'll ask, would you rather live on a wildlife reserve with big cats in South Crappy Dakota or in New York City with your greedy divorced parents? I have to go with New York City because I am not suited for, I'm not necessarily suited for New York City 
living, but I'm definitely not suited for a wildlife reserve with big cats in South Dakota living. So maybe I can live in like the outer fringes of Queens. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to go with South Crappy Dakota because I'm not really a big city person. I like visiting them, but it's not for me for long-term life. Plus, if you live on a wildlife reserve in South Crappy Dakota, you're probably going to have your mom live really close by and she's going to like bake a lot of pies mm -hmm. and you can go eat pie with your like cute and upstanding adopted younger brother. So I'm going to, oh, and you can recruit all of your best friends to work on the reserve with you. It's true. This is a tough call for me because I do like South Dakota is beautiful and I love cats of all sizes, obviously. Um, but I also do love New York and, um, you know, I guess I'm going to go with the wildlife reserve, but only if I'm soul bonded to a cougar. <laughs> if there's no, if there's no soul bond, I might go to New York City. Aren't you already soul bonded to Duarte? Mm, probably true. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could have a three-way soul bond. <laughs> we'll figure it out later. All right. Would you rather find a partner on ChristianMingle.com or FarmersOnly.com? For the same reason as before, I'm going to go with ChristianMingle.com. Um... Because not only do I love our wonderful sponsor, ChristianMingle.com, who brings us such joy and, you know, Jesusness in their sponsorship, and not only do I want a good Christian husband with lots of morals. All the morals. Or whatever Christians have. Um, but I could not live on a farm, which I would imagine farmersonly.com, the farmers, you know, would expect you to live with them. So there you have it. Um, I'm going to have to go with farmersonly.com, but only if I can find a farmer whose, um, farm is a alpaca and or sheep farm because my life goal because I'm a stereotype, I'm a librarian, I love cats, I also live knitting, and my life goal is to live on some kind of like fiber farming commune situation, preferably with an expert farmer who can do most of the work for me while I read Nora Roberts novels. <laughs> that seems like the kind of thing you could find on FarmersOnly.com. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, some sort of like fiber-related farming venture. I'm, I'm, sign me up. I'm all in for that. All right. Becca well, and I are staying at a and b that is also an alpaca farm in October. And we're oh my God. I, w I would be. Where is it? Can I go with you? <laughs> it is in Maine. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Maine is like a mecca of the fiber arts. I would imagine. There's not much else going on up there. <laughs> all right. Well, um. I think I'm going to have to vote for Christian Mingle as well, um, both because I do value their sponsorship. And also, I mean, I do think the alpaca farm commune sounds nice, but overall, I would rather live, you know, I don't think wildlife preserve counts for farmers only. I don't know. I think overall, I'm more interested in the kind of lifestyle I could get from Christian Mingle than, than farmers only. 
And last up, would you rather have a spirit animal or a Patronus? Well, as I do not have any American Indian ancestry and do not want to be appropriative, I'm going to go with Patronus. Additionally, you know, a Patronus would imply that I could, like, do magic and shit. So that also would be excellent. Plus, I'm going to say Patronus as well. And and all those things. But also Patronus would be more useful, I think, um, because, you know, they could use the Patronuses to send messages and stuff like that. Although we also have texting now, so. Still. Still. Uh, Yeah. Um, I'm also going to have to say Patronus, both because I don't want to culturally appropriate, and also because I want to live at Hogwarts. And if I can conjure Patronus, I must have been there at some point. Or one of the other wizarding academies. Yeah, maybe you went to Bobatons. Yeah. <laughs> Although, of, of, um, of these two, I'm picking Patronus, but I'd really rather have a demon from his dark materials. Mm-hmm. But I'll take a Patronus for sure. Really any kind of familiar or anything that implies mastery of the magical arts, I would be in. Totally. One day, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But for now, we'll move on to our Mastery of the Literary Arts, to our Reader's Advisory Corner, where we will... I like to call things corner, but it doesn't really make sense for a podcast. (laughs) You know, it's a (laughs) seven-corner audio experience. (laughs) Uh, To to Reader's Advisory section of whatever shape it may be, and we'll recommend some things to read um, instead of... Or in addition to Black Hills. And uh, as we've made pretty clear, I think I 100% recommend Black Hills. This book is bonkers. Great. Totally. <laughs> I'm 100% there for this book. I wish there were five sequels. Um, but f- I definitely want to hear from Catherine what her other top choices are for Nora Roberts books. Okay, so for Nora Roberts, as I said before, my favorites are these sort of thick mystery thriller romance books that she writes out of all her categories um the ones that i mentioned earlier are probably my favorites the one about the badass lady fire jumper is called chasing fire it features a scene in which the male love interest sees like a creepy guy sexually harassing the female protagonist from across the bar and he tries to go across the bar to save her but before he can get across the bar, the female protagonist has already like beat up this guy who was hitting on her. So that's pretty excellent. Um, the one about the search dog trainer and murder is called The Search. And the one about the Alaskan bush pilot plus murder is called Northern Lights. That one actually is similar to this in that the male love interest is kind of a, a detective, I believe, who moves to Alaska to get away from his tortured past. And it's kind of like Northern exposure, but with murder. <laughs> um, and then other than Nora Roberts, a really good Western romance series that has great strong heroines, healthy relationship dynamics, and cowboys is Victoria Dahl's Jackson Girls Night Out series. They're really fun. And if you're into big cats or really big animals of any kind, 
I would recommend Cynthia Lydic Smith's Feral series, which has were cats, all kinds of were animals. They're set in Texas, and she handles diversity, specifically Native American characters, black characters, uh, characters of various sexual orientations, um, Asian characters. She handles it all extremely masterfully and really sensitively. Hooray. Um, my only addition that I want to talk about is I would recommend uh, both the television show My Cat from Hell and then also the book um, Catification by Jackson Galaxy, who is the host of My Cat from Hell. Um, just <laughs> if, if you're interested in taming house cats, maybe getting soul bonded to them, I feel like Jackson <laughs> Galaxy could help you with that. Yeah, I don't have any particular recommendations for this. I would just say read it. Mm -hmm, definitely um so we'll have all these suggestions and some others up at our website uh worstbestsellers.com and for now we'll move on to our candy pairing where we will suggest a candy to accompany this book my candy pairing for this book was mini Reese's cups um because it was just the right amount of sweetness and chocolate so that I don't get sick interestingly enough because we have a a candy pairing corner on this podcast (laughs) I don't eat a ton of candy. I've reached a point in my adulthood where my taste buds have changed so much that a lot of candy is too sweet for me and I can't have more than a couple bites before I it's too much. So a Reese's a mini Reese's cup is like the perfect like I eat one and I'm like, "Yeah, that was good and satisfying." And if I eat any more, I'm going to start being disgusted, but this is perfect. But that's ironic cuz this book is 500 pages long. <laughs> but it but it's, it's still just enough it. yeah 500 pages of no roberts is just enough <laughs> <laughs> leaves you wanting more yes um my pairing that i chose was just um any girl scout cookies because um it's delicious and full of girl power and my candy pairing is Black Panther Endangered Species Chocolate, which is the chocolate bar with the animals on it that you often see for sale at like zoos or perhaps at the Chance Wildlife Refuge gift shop. Totally. Like this book, Endangered Species Chocolate has an educational facade. It has a <laughs> wrapper with panther facts on it. A proportion of the sales go to um, endangered species uh, relief efforts, I guess. So you feel good about buying it, you feel good about eating it, but you still know that under the wrapper, it's going to deliver the chocolatey goodness and or romance novel tropes that you were hoping for. Excellent. We'll move on now to our favorite segment, The Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I would say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, and um, Catherine will choose which one would make the book most better or she can choose paper which would be to leave the book as is i feel like this is the first book we've had where that seems like a plausible option to be <laughs> but we'll we'll give it our best try anyway if Dwayne the rock johnson were in this book he would be a volunteer at the chance wildlife refuge uh you know he's filming in the general area and just like kind of taking in the south dakota scenery and really wants to get a feel for the area and he stumbles upon the refuge and uh, decides to put in some time volunteering because he's a good guy and he likes to give back. 
Um, so he would strike up a friendship with Lil and Tansy. And when Ethan Swiftcat starts his murderous shenanigans, The Rock would join with the townspeople to help protect the refuge and hunt down the killer. Um, mostly it would mean just kind of hanging out and providing muscle. And occasionally he would give romantic advice to Coop and Farley, telling them to chill out a little bit and to, you know, kind of let the ladies be a little bit more of their awesome selves. Um, and because the book actually handles the actual manhunt and protection of the victims pretty well, that would mainly be his role. A uh, Lil and Baby would still save the day in the end, but The Rock would agree to stick around afterwards and officiate for the weddings that are upcoming. I want The Rock to officiate my wedding. Right? <laughs> to somebody who proposed to me at a big cat sanctuary. <laughs> uh, okay, so if Wolverine were in this book... Um, by the way, just in case anyone, like, doesn't follow me on Twitter or doesn't read comics, a thing you should know about Wolverine is that often, not often, sometimes <laughs> when he has too many emotions, he just goes to, like, live in literally a cave by himself for a while. He's like, I can't deal with any of you people in any of your drama. I just need to literally live in a cave, which I call his sadness cave. Um, so I'm going to say if he were in this book, he would be living out in a sadness cave in the Black Hills, just kind of moping in a cave. Um, but he would, um, actually save a few of the hikers from Ethan Swiftcat just because they were getting a little too close to his cave. He kind of heard the commotion, went out, saved the hikers, and then went back into the cave. Um, but he doesn't really get involved with the endgame scenario because Lil and Baby totally have it under control. And also he was pretty drunk when that was happening. Well, those are both very tempting. Also, paper is tempting in this case because this book is awesome. I know. <laughs> um, but I am going to have to go with Rock because any scenario in which Dwayne the Rock Johnson is officiating multiple weddings is a scenario that I would like to be a part of. Oh, totally. Me too. <laughs> uh, all right. Good game. Good game. Always a good game. Best game. And now we'll move on to the moral of the story. My moral of this story is that cultural appropriation kills. Literally, in this case, a man who is appropriating another culture is killing people. And is killed yes. by a cougar. And so my moral of the story is cougar power. My moral of the story is nobody puts baby in the corner because he will track you through the woods and tear your throat out. <laughs> So true. Very true. Especially if you're soul bonded with him. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now is the part of the podcast when I would normally turn things over to my cat Duarte for Duarte's Corner, which is the only segment that actually does have corner in the name of it. Um, <laughs> but to reflect recent events, um, Duarte has decided to cede his, his corner to have a moment of silence for Cecil, the lion who was killed by a poacher. So let's have our quick moment. All right. Thanks, Dorothy. That was very thoughtful of you. And I know you did enjoy the book. And I know you're not very good at expressing your happiness. So I, I guess this moment <laughs> of silence is the best that he could do. <laughs> so any closing thoughts from any humans? Um, This was, I read this, obviously, because I'm sure you did too, Renata. Uh, I basically read this and then immediately started Grey after it, and I'm so glad that I read this before Grey and that it was good, because otherwise 
I would be pretty miserable. I mean, I already am miserable. Gray's pretty bad, but that's for next week. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about Gray soon. But just, you know, we talk about how this is this whole podcast experience has really changed our ratings for things. And I think last year, if I had read this, I'd be like, oh, man, Coop's, like, really aggressive and controlling. But, like I said, compared to Christian Gray, Christian Gray I'm like, no, he seems great. Christian Gray <laughs> is mentally unstable and should not be allowed to interact with humans. But, again, we'll talk about that soon. <laughs> my closing thought is that I would like to grow up and become Nora Roberts. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Or just live in her inn. That would be fine. Yeah. Uh, a true heroine, Nora Roberts. I have definitely have a newfound appreciation for her. And Catherine, thank you so much for introducing us to her. Same, same. All right. You can like us on Facebook at The Worst Bestsellers. You can follow us on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S. You can rate and review us on Stitcher and iTunes. And please do rate and review us or else we'll send baby after you to maul you to death. It'll be unpleasant. Yes. We don't like that. Uh, you can find our reader's advisory and some more notes from the show and other things up on our website at worstbestsellers.com. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14across. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can follow Catherine on Twitter at benson ka and we'll see you in two weeks to discuss the frequently requested and torturously awful gray by el james yay bye bye thanks for joining us Catherine. bye Already soul bonded to Duarte. <laughs> <laughs>